Hello, welcome to TGE, the podcast, This Guy Edits, with Tyler and myself. Tyler, how are you doing after the holidays? Good, Sven. How are you doing? I wanted to um, thank you for the, the kind words at the beginning of last week's episode. You recorded an intro without me because we did that two-part episode experiment over the holidays, and it was so good, I almost didn't even notice that you said it was for a totally different movie than the one that the podcast was about. I know, so. I know. <laughs> I noticed that. I was like, should I go back and do it again? And Never. I said, no, screw it. Nobody's going to know. We just won't talk <laughs> about <Europe> it. European, <laughs> European vacation versus Christmas vacation. Right. The sentiment was all the same. It's and too many Chevy Chase movies in this podcast. Well, that leaves us with two more get-out-of-jail-free vacation movies we have. We already used up two with <laughs> the first, like, 20 episodes of the podcast. Yeah, I'm good. How far will we make it? No, we're good. This year, we're going <laughs> to do really edgy, interesting films. We're going to go big. That's my mission. I, I look forward to that. And... um Speaking of which, I was. I apologize if I'm stuffy. I had that thing where I got off a plane back into Los Angeles this morning, and immediately when you get off, just you get a runny nose and the smog hits you, and your allergies take off. Where it's like, oh, I'm not even on the escalator at the airport yet. And here we go. That's always fun. One thing I wanted to ask you about over the holidays that I, that I re regret not getting to before we talk about the film you're working on. And the new searching video is the video that you made with Patrick Southern. It was like his 14, or sorry, his 12 tips for Christmas videos that he was doing, mm -hmm. which were very fun to watch if for no other reason than his incredibly ornate Christmas sweater. <laughs> yes. Which made me think that he was digitally added into the, to the videos. Like he was, he was green screened in or something. It was so, so vibrant that he was CG. Uh, but your tip was to take a nap and, which I was amazed because I've I've hidden so many naps from you, working on stuff with you that I had no idea that it was part of the process and and it was okay. So I didn't know if you wanted to elaborate on that at all. Yeah, no. On first, your nap taking process. First of all, if you've seen the video, or if you're going to, you might think that I was joking about taking naps and how that makes you more efficient. But it is really part of my process and. It's hard to do when you're working in an office, and that's one of the reasons why I try not to edit in an office environment. I, I tend mm -hmm. to not take jobs that require me to commute, that require me to show up at a certain time in the morning, and that make it hard for me to take a midday nap because all that is going against my sort of inner natural process of editing. I like to cut like... When I work out first, I have, I have an easy start in the morning, and then I get into it, I get really creative, and then after lunch I get really sluggish, and that's when I take my mm -hmm. first nap. And then yeah. then I go deep into the night, so there might be a second or third nap somewhere along the way. So that's that's sort of what is what is the serious reason behind that tip, and uh, we kind of had fun with it. Yeah, and it's always amazing how much more work you get done working from home if you're an editor that actually does the work instead of those two hours in traffic each direction. Yeah, it is incredible. Like most employers don't think that you can be more effective because they want you to sit in an office so that they can watch over you. And it's actually, mm -hmm. for me, I'm so much more efficient. I can get so many more things done and I have a life at the same time, so... Uh, that's one of the that's one of the the luxuries that I try to 
afford myself when I pick projects and when I work is that I can decide when I work and uh, how long I work, as long as I get it done. Yeah, and also, do you find there's different stages of editing that are mentally comprehensive to different degrees where you need that nap for different stages of the project and there's other stages where it's less kind of creatively taxing that's right yeah so if i need to be creative i need to be awake alert and and ready to go i can't really be creative when i feel like oh i just want to take a nap so then i'll take the nap and then i'll be creative. Yeah. and of course when there is that big deadline we're very capable of Oh, yeah. Staying awake and getting it done. Nothing nothing works better than a real deadline. Then it's on. Then you're just going 14 <laughs> hours and you don't even notice it. Yeah. It's like you need this, this amazing balance. So our New Year's resolution, take more naps. Nice. We're starting off great. What happened with this searching video? Because I noticed that it's a, a shorter version of the same one that got put back up, and yet 52,000 more people watched it in a few weeks. Yes. So... If you're new to the podcast, I did a video about the movie Searching with the two editors. It's a Sundance winning, I think it's a hit thriller, um, made by now over $75 million in theaters. And so I was really excited to make a video and look them over their shoulder and see really how they put this all together because it's a screen movie. It's a, it's a very exciting, innovative project cut in premiere mostly and then um, spend a lot of time in After Effects to finish it off. So I cut this video, put it up on YouTube, and it just died. Um, it made, by now it has 17,000 views. And that, oh. I mean, I don't want to be like, oh, that's not a lot. I, I think that is. But um, compared to some of the other videos that I did and compared to what I told the sponsor, the views that I'm expecting, it just <laughs> wasn't anywhere where it needed to be. And that would mean that the the sponsor wouldn't have to pay me as much. And yeah. it's also not looking great in terms of like we had Universal looking over this and approving this. And it's a, there's a lot of eyes on this video and it can open up a lot of new videos with other studios. At least that's what I'm hoping. So then I talked to the sponsor and said, hey, would you be open if I recut this, make this shorter? And the great thing is with YouTube, when you look in the analytics, you can see where people drop off, where like certain huh. parts are just not working the way that you thought. And I just completely realized that I was way too in love with the detail like people there were just certain things like i the very first like the first third of the video was about how they build a prototype for this film how they like completely did a on-screen huh. draft of the entire film and people just didn't care they just clicked away right so then huh. i just decided whatever was making people click away I'm just going to like cut this out and go straight to what people liked where like the retention rate was higher. So huh. fully going in, hoping I'm going to cut out 10 minutes. I ended up only losing six minutes, re-release the video. And I mean, if you re-release a video, you're basically losing that view velocity of your hardcore fans because they've already seen it. So I was right. expecting not a whole lot of success, but I still felt like this is worth trying put it out there and it took a week expectedly like the first week was pretty pretty mellow i tweaked a little bit the thumbnail and the title you helped me with that also with the title i, I sort of found a new yeah. angle on how to make that 
people more interested in the video. I thought searching would be the sort of the sales thing. It's not. People don't know the movie. People are not really interested in screen live movies. It's kind of off-putting. Well, also, um, we realize it's not as distinct enough of a phrase, specific enough to the movie. Yes, yes. So everything that I thought would be working didn't work, and then went in a completely different angle, different thumbnail. Now it's called How to Edit, a low-budget blockbuster, and then I just put the two guys up there. And the number of how much this movie made, $73 million at the time. And... Mm-hmm. Once I really figured that out, within a week, then suddenly I could see the algorithm uh, responding to it. And the algorithm is basically just tracking what people do and how long they watch and if they click on it. And all that was working out. And now it's been like a week and a half. It made 57,000 views and it's going strong. So it has a happy ending. It's it's good to know that um, you, you don't necessarily have to give up on a video. You can you can have a second chance. Well, also it's something that you'd worked so hard on for so long that it was it was worth the gamble. Yes. No. I mean, I I spent by now probably a good month on it in terms of everything, like planning, editing, re-editing. And then just just figuring out, redesigning the thumbnail and testing different titles, all that stuff. I think I'm actually going to make a video about this whole process because it's very... I learned so much about the algorithm and how how you can not game it, but you really can like figure out a way how you can get it so that people watch it. Because I always felt like it's a, it's a good video. It's just It's just not what people were really keyed into and you needed to find a way to make it entertaining yeah and i'd like to suggest the title searching for searching <laughs> yeah but nobody knows what searching is that was the big problem i know it's like no double down Sven. yeah double down like 70 million people or oh, 70 million made 70 million but people still don't know unless you've seen the movie you're not gonna click on it yeah and then also i mean it's a, the videos dennis does for the podcast are absolutely amazing but when his turnaround time is two and a half days and he's getting more views than you are for your two-month endeavor, yeah. then that's worth uh, a second swing as well. Yeah, that's where I know so. maybe YouTube shouldn't be – I shouldn't be obsessing about it because there's some YouTubers obviously out there that turn around a video within four hours and it gets millions of views. And that's that's yeah. that's how – that business model really works. Yeah, and that was my way of complimenting and thanking Dennis yet again. And then do you want to talk about the film you're working on more? Yeah, so I'm currently working on a new feature. I'm actually not just a YouTuber, even though that's... Well, the thing, I was going to say the thing that's different that I noticed is that now you're posting videos on Patreon of you working on it. Yeah. And that's kind of what started the This Guy Edits channel. Yeah, I'm going back to the roots but um, I'm putting it on Patreon because it's really only the core audience that cares about uh, sort of shadowing me as I'm cutting scenes and discovering things. And today, all day, I was cutting on the movie and had the camera running and explaining my process of how I select, how I pick the best performance and and then put the scenes together and why I chose choose to like eliminate certain things not use it the way it was written all that stuff do some editing yeah yeah it so seems like another very unorthodox film also it's just, yeah it's an interesting film there's so many things i love about it one is it's shot in germany it's the first time i'm doing a german spoken film it's a thriller it's the first time i'm cutting a thriller 
it's shot with three cameras for many parts that DP is known for doing multi-camera setups and covering scenes that way, lighting an entire scene for close-up and wide shot and reverse at the same time. His name is Thomas Kist. He's from the Netherlands. He's done films for Steve Buscemi and John Tutor and um, really, really specializes in this style of shooting, which is very efficient and also great for editing because you can like stay within the same take and just cover the whole scene if you want to so how about right, you well what, I, what, what, what are I'm you up to looking forward i'm looking forward to that i just would like to answer your question go the com- and keep it brief also so we can get into talking about this movie that has taken a completely undistinct phrase like searching but made it's so exclusive to this film get out you just go the opposite direction to the your productivity that you've been going through the last few weeks over the holiday because we took a little break. I, you know, during the holidays is when I get to experience my brothers playing video games. <laughs> and it's kind of amazing to see how this technology has evolved and how immersive these worlds are. And, you know, just the experience of a game like Red Dead Redemption 2. Have you heard about that, Sven? Nope. Oh, really? It's it's Rockstar, the company that makes the Grand Theft Auto series. Yeah. It's their follow-up. It's the... The talk of the season, it's a Western version of Grand Theft Auto, essentially a sequel to their Western version of Grand Theft Auto. And it's just this amazingly immersive sort of storytelling experience that's pretty incredible in terms of the graphics and the animation and the engines and calculations they have in these things where apparently the world's just constantly changing that you're running around into the point that the testicles of the horses have algorithms programmed into them to wow. shrink and extend based on the weather that the animal is in. Oh, wow. That's insane. So, so it's, it's, yeah, it's just kind of amazing. So you're kind of basically just taking this story because it doesn't seem like the game is terribly difficult. And again, important to bring up because Grand Theft Auto is the most profitable piece of entertainment ever made in the history of entertainment. And, you know, to kind of see the way this has evolved is... It's pretty amazing you're just kind of engaging in this experience in a whole different way yep. uh, that's very active and, and very interesting. So that's cool to see and how much more sophisticated the storytelling between the levels has become. And then, you know, I notice editing in that where it's like, oh, that was like a great moment to go to the close-up. We should do that for the show. Oh, wait, how's that going to happen? So we'll see if there's any way to cross that line into looking at a scene from a video game. Well, we could, uh, so. in one of the upcoming episodes, we could talk about Bandersnatch which I think is kind of a hybrid of what you're talking about and what we do as filmmakers. Oh, yeah. I wa- Did you watch that? I did. Yeah. How I thought that I'd seen all of it and jumped around enough, but it turns out I think there's a huge chunks it that I did not end up seeing, and that's the Netflix choose-your-own-adventure style Black Mirror episode, which is really cool to look at. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Maybe, yeah. We should-, we should do that maybe next this week or the next to avoid spoilers. Yes, yes. Definitely we should talk Next about week. it because there's a lot of good stuff and some some things where I think we can expand upon like what the future will hold. Right. Yeah, which is really cool. So to kind of head in that direction, you want to talk about this week's movie, Get Out? Let's do it. I'm excited because I only just saw it over the holidays. And yeah, I was curious because we talked about, that's the other thing I want to ask you about was the movies. <laughs> I noticed we kind of dragged Aquaman last week and it's something I actually trimmed down in the episode because it came up a lot. Yeah. So it only has me saying it at the end, like I'm not going to see that movie. It was a point of reference for a lot of things. I did not end up seeing it. 
Um, but I did see a few movies in the trailer for us, Jordan Peele's new film, that really freaked my cousin out because he has a young family of his own. Yeah. And I guess it just got into his head in like a deep, a deep way. It's a very timely one to look at. Nice. Excited. Well, it's going to be a little tricky to talk about the scene that we are going to look at because it's while it's still early in the film, it does have some spoilers in there. Um, but we're going to try and keep it as spoiler-free as possible while still making some points about the editing and the craft of filmmaking. Yeah, and just run for it. Yeah, run. Get out now and watch it or stay in and listen in. Yeah, and if you do like what you're hearing, subscribe to the podcast, which I guess I'll say again at the end. Nice. So should we okay, introduce so you a little bit the movie? This is the movie Jordan Peele won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for? First time filmmaker, winning an Oscar. That's how you do it. Is he? Well, first time director. I mean, obviously he's done TV stuff. And but did he co-direct Keanu or did he not direct it? Or I, I want to say he was involved in the production of it, but I don't think he directed. Because he definitely must have directed some episodes of his show. Yeah. Key and Peel. Yeah, maybe. But uh, he's definitely uh, classified as, or Get Out is classified as his director directorial debut wow it's a 2017 american horror film written and directed by jordan peele it stars daniel kalua as a young black man who uncovers a disturbing secret a disturbing secret when he meets the family of his white girlfriend it premiered at the sundance film festival in 2017 was theatrically released in by universal picture it grossed 255 million worldwide and the budget was 4.5 million net profit wow 124 million making it the 10th most profitable film of 17 2017 it was nominated for four awards academy awards including best picture one for best original screenplay bunch of golden globes and other awards what i find really interesting is that it is a bloomhouse co-production which is mm -hmm. the guy who started off with paranormal and really is known jason bloom yeah jason bloom, the horror film producer known for genre pictures at a budget making great profits on those and um what's the jordan peele's new movie what's it called us um, us they're doing it together as well and the budget of that one is surprisingly $24 million. So that's a little bit Whoa. bigger. So it's a little bit more at stake. Yeah, I think there's a little more crazy stuff going on. But it seems like it's a surefire hit. Nice. That's still under the budget, the minimum budget of like $30 million for any studio movie. So True. Very true. I was going to ask you I about know. your first impression. Like what... Because you saw it a Ooh. while back when it was hot. Yeah, when when I first saw it, I mean, obviously it wasn't a surprise to me that it was a horror film, but it was definitely this sensation. And it never seemed for a minute like it was a low-budget movie or anything like that. It just seemed like it was the big hot ticket coming out that weekend. And that's kind of a rare distinction that a few films have that you forget. I mean, I, let's say the original Halloween's an example where you forget that they're really held together by the bootstraps kind of films. I mean, Jaws is probably another great example of that, of these movies that are just great, you know, landmark achievements that really, really are made for like peanuts. And it's always a mark of like a really talented filmmaker. And again, I guess this is another example of a filmmaker who 
you know, this is his debut film, as I just learned, because he's incredibly experienced. As you like to point out, Spielberg was by the time he made Jaws. Yep. Um, so it's kind of cool to see, like, yeah, and this is true of so many people. Any great director you like, you can go look at. They really, 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 really do put their time in, yep. whoever it is. And, you know, people love the mythology and the fairy tale of, you know, Tarantino, but he put his time in. He was cracking at it for like 20 years, writing scripts, having stuff rejected for years and years and years. Made a movie no one will ever see. Same thing for the Duplass brothers. Same thing for so many filmmakers. They just don't worry about your thing being the great thing. Like, just put your, put your time in and then your your movie will come when you're ready for it. And his certainly did and has no indication that it wasn't going to be a blockbuster memorable award-winning movie upon its release right well i think what's interesting about it is the craftsmanship is there and it's because as you were saying he was already working the craft without having done a film yet because he's done a ton of television and probably um very good just repeating the process of making a piece of entertainment um, mm-hmm. so that by the time that he did his passion project, which this was, he's a horror fan. He, it wasn't about how am I going to just sort of scrape by with what I know. He was a fully developed artist um, that understood how to make a film and what makes a story good and work. Yeah, and an incredibly relevant theme as well. Yeah, and that's something that I keep on... I wish I would have known and learned this a long time ago, but I'm realizing it now. It's like, it doesn't matter whether you make a YouTube video or short, that's where you learn the craft and that's where you realize if you put it out there, what it means to tell a story that engages. And I think he had that. He knew that he's, even though maybe he might be worried, like, is this going to offend people? Are some people going to be like, oh, I'm, uh, this is like about race and now I'm the victim or the villain here. Um, I think right. he, he took a chance to tell a really interesting story that was fresh and it worked at the same time. Yeah, and it connected in a really universal way. And we see that over and over again too, whatever it might be. For some reason, Seinfeld's jumping to mind. <laughs> the show but just those those works where people realize okay well i'm making this for me and it'll make me i'll enjoy it my friends will enjoy it it'll mean something to me and get out i mean if you step back from it, it is obviously a very very told from a very subjective point of view but because of that it's so incredibly universal that it's just a great I- example of that some you know doing something personal and then because you did that finding out it has an incredibly universal theme yes And I think what we're going to see in this scene is that as an artist, why it doesn't look like a low-budget film is because when artists are great, they keep things simple. They just break it down to the most simplest thing, and then they just work. And I think this scene is an example of that. Yeah, let's check it out. Yeah, let's take a look at the scene. I'm sure you know by now we're actually looking at the scene. There's a link that's included in the description of this podcast, you can bring that up on YouTube. Somebody put that up. In this case, it's Fandango. So that's actually an official license clip on YouTube. And we're going to start it up. We're going to watch it through with you, describe what is happening, and then get into it more in terms of the actual stuff that we notice. Filmmaking, storytelling, editing. Very cool. I'll do the countdown. I'll let you kind of take us through it because okay. when I say click, we're going to watch it. Uh, three, two, click. 
tell me when you found it. Okay, so we're in the middle of a scene where our main character is about to be hypnotized. And what's her name? Catherine Keener. She asked... Um, what's the character's Give me name? Chris. Okay. His girlfriend's <laughs> mom yeah. is a therapist, yeah. a hypnotist. So okay. she asked if he could just put himself back into a childhood memory where I, I guess it was his mom who was yeah. upstairs dying and he just chose to watch TV. Am I giving away too much? So anyway, he's so he, no. she puts him in that place and say, just go there. Just mm -hmm. like start remembering these things and she's spinning this teacup like with a spoon and you can hear the sound of it <laughs> right yes. and it's also a very big jump for the movie also where there'd only been it's a nice tone balance of there clearly being like a weird slightly supernatural element to this movie hints of stuff and this is really just a big setup for the moment where we realize oh we're in Oz and yeah. this is going to be a wild adventure incredible shot of him as he starts crying and then pushes in and then there's like this nice match cut of him like scraping with his nails on the chair and uh -huh. flashback of him as a kid doing the same thing. How do you feel now? Yeah, with this very simple tea motif that became quite an iconic thing. Yeah. And I think it's easy, because it was a performance also when he got nominated for an Academy Award. This is a really good example of just really how subtly deep and effective that performance was, where kind of in the horror of the movie watching it, you're not really able to appreciate as much, but looking at it now, it's really great. Okay, so now she asked him to go in deep state of hypnosis, which she said sink into the floor. And this is a real nice effect of first in sort of his flashback, the kid sinks into the bed, and now he's floating like in space. And off in the distance, there's like... He can see her in what I find interesting is like a TV aspect ratio of her shot. And first I was like, why is it this aspect ratio? But it makes sense because there's a TV involved in his memory. Right. So he's floating in space and he's like sunken in this Neverland in this like um, yeah. purgatorium. Is that what it is? It's kind of trapped in his own body, which is obviously where a lot of characters, no spoilers, yeah. end up being. We cut back to his body is still there. He's still crying. She, like, approaches him to, like, look deep into his eyes to see if he's really in hypnosis. And we cut back to his point of view, which is, like, he's in this dark space um, mm -hmm. environment, universe... And he can just hear her at far distance. There's like some sound of water. And uh -huh. she closes his eyes. And he wakes with a start. Yeah. And then it's great because it's also obviously setting up the real physical, practical stake of the film, which is that's where he will end up trapped if he isn't able to get out of this situation. Yep, so it's yep. a really great way of putting the audience in, into that, and a lot of cool techniques are used to do it, which we're going to analyze. 
Yes, and uh, I mean, at the end of the scene, we kind of have this moment of relief, like, oh, maybe this was all a dream. And uh -huh. it's it's like this whole scene is all about hypnosis and memory and reality and dreams. And we're, we're kind of getting, we're learning what's going on, but at the same time, it's not all, we're not quite there yet. We don't quite understand yet what just happened. Um, yeah. And it's really nice because it makes us want to figure it out. We want to know more. What I mean, the intention originally was, he thought, is she's going to stop him from smoking. She had a big problem that he's a smoker. He's the husband, no, not husband, but boyfriend of her daughter. And she just doesn't like him being a smoker. So she kind of, let me hypnotize you and I'll fix that right up but there are some other intentions why this is happening so with that let's look a little bit at the filmmaking well you bring up an interesting point too which uh, has he quit smoking by the end of this movie well after <laughs> he wakes up he is, he is it really is a cigarette <laughs> so it works so it, what's it he complained about he did say it worked actually in, in one <laughs> well, of there the you scenes go. So, <laughs> so mission accomplished um so I think just in terms of how the scene is set up, and we're jumping a little er later into the scene, but it sort of starts wide, and we're moving closer and closer on him. So there's the slow dolly shot um, on him, which starts at two seconds. Yeah, and this is an amazing dolly. It goes from a wide shot to a real tight shot. Yeah. And we're hearing sound of rain because she asked him to remember back then what it was like. And we're cutting to a flashback 12 seconds in where we see Kit from behind. We don't see the face. I don't think we see the face ever. Um, reminds me a little bit of Poltergeist. Mm -hmm. um, might be a little tribute here. The whole movie, I think, is like Stepford's Wives, by the way. That's what I felt. Um, okay. So for a second, we see that flashback, then we're back at him. He's slightly resistant. The camera's a little closer. Interestingly enough, we don't really push in on her. She's, uh -huh. It's very still, which I think is intentional. Yeah, she's much more dominant in the way that she's kind of controlling the frame. Yeah. It's a much more of a POV shot of her. Yeah, she's pulling him in. So we're seeing it more from... His perspective. So I'd, the scene. I wonder how they did the crying that's about to happen. Like whether these are his real tears. Oh, I, I have a feeling it, it's those are those are real. It just seems like such genuine emotion. You yeah. know, it doesn't seem like that scene where you just have a single teardrop. It seems like he. It's an incredibly deep emotional performance through yeah. this whole scene, True. and that's just kind of a. One of those things that are nice, but not really necessary. It's not about the teardrop, I guess. I, I just, the way it was, like, the shot itself, and it became, like, an iconic image. I think it's, like, part of the poster, or it's one of the images. It's, like, yeah. these tears are so crystal clear, I feel like, so yeah. innocent. It's just such a golden thing to capture, I think. Like, yeah. the camera's at the right place, the tear falls. and The way it's lit, it's, like, just this little... Yeah. Clear on it or something. Um, so we have this match cut, right? Would you call that a match cut between the two hands 
The graphic match cut, yeah, transition, sort of. Um, what is the what is the the purpose of that, or what does that do emotionally in your in your point of view? For I mean, it's different for everything. Right. The idea of using it, but I mean, in, in that case, it's obviously just in a way like he's is because it's his hands that he's kind of becoming trapped in his childhood. Yeah. Um, trying to claw his way out. Like he's nervous on the, in the present, but he's actually really legitimately clawing in, in his childhood. So you kind of already planting that seed of being trapped completely and realizing, you know, it's kind of like silence of the lambs clawing against the wall to get out, Yeah, <laughs> to get out. Um, and it's just a really cool way to kind of subtly plant that feeling in the audience's mind before we see him actually literally trapped, which is, you know, what will end up happening if he can't escape and is currently happening to a few other people. Yeah, I think that's perfect. You put it perfectly. Um, so we're about to... And I always thought he was in water, but now that we're looking at it... it he's floating, um, but it's... And it, it is hinted. I mean, the sound in the background, there is some... It feels like you're in a pool, but it's not real water and it's not really dominant. It's more subtle, and I like it. Yeah, it's not shot underwater, which is cool. Yeah. It adds another... It feels underwater, but it adds another level of eeriness. Yeah. And I think the way it's shot is actually really simple. Like, anybody could do that with, like, a very small green screen stage and two wires could, yeah. could have shot that. Um, the whole scene. See, now you have me thinking about those tears. I'm wondering if they're... I mean, obviously the emotion's there and it's genuine, but I'm wondering if just for the visual effect of it... Oh, if that's a... If they add it? Someone's popping in with an eyedropper or something. Or, just it, or if it's CGI? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. To, who knows for that budget? It seems easier to show someone drop in and do it. Yeah. Because it just seems like such an effective way to show someone stuck and unable to move when they're not... Yeah. You know, moving the tears from their face and just crying. So and it's not even crying. It's just like this trapped horror right. with this stuff falling out. Well, I mean, it depends on the actor, too. I, I've known actors that can do that consistently in every take. And then at yeah. some point they wear out. So you've, you've And he is <laughs> he is a British actor. So, yeah, it's highly possible. <laughs> so that he it's, can, it's you know, has that Cumberbatch gene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that said, it is something that's not exactly a natural way of crying if that makes sense yeah it it's it's just uh, it's not it's visually very iconic i think that's what i what i yeah. like about most it's like immediately you have your thumbnail there for the movie basically <laughs> right um or and again but and if it is genuine that could be a thing that just happened in the performance it's like whoa can yeah. you believe what we caught like and then you start building things around it because it's just something incredible the actor brought through it which always should have more to do with the emotion than the teardrops. Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> you know, but yeah, but it's amazing because you kind of got both in that case. Yeah. I mean, he is an incredible actor and I think the casting is spot on with him. He has such yeah. a great look. And every time he reacts as the straight guy in the film, like everybody's like kind of insane and his reaction <laughs> to it is just precious. Every time. Yeah, it's because we are a real. podcast, we like to brew up a little controversy. Sam, Have you heard Sam Jackson's objections to the casting? I have not. Of a non-American actor in this role? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just You can Google it. We're not, we're not that show. Okay? Yeah, see, I wasn't even we're aware. I mean, show. I kind of knew he was on Black Mirror, 
but I guess that would make right. him a British actor, maybe. But <laughs> wasn't really yeah. thinking about any of that. Right. Uh, yeah. Why would you? Um, so at one twenty-six, we have this insert of the teacup, and it's a lovely insert because it it's a setup for what what throughout the film that this is the device that puts him into sleep or hypnosis. And we've heard the sound prior to seeing this insert throughout the scene, pretty much. And now we understand what that is. And we're really conditioning the audience here to learn that this is the key to um, have control over him. Yeah. And it's cool, too, because there's so many details in this scene that are it's a very gently done scene, I would say. There's yeah. nothing incredibly snazzy about the editing, but it's more about the restraint and the visual kind of timing of setting motifs up that are going to be very important throughout the rest of the film. Yeah. So a lot of disciplines going into that and a lot of subtle stuff you don't realize you're being kind of having programmed into you yourself. You're being hypnotized yourself kind of by the movies. So there's a whole parallel to that of watching a movie that's being edited well versus what's actually happening to this guy as an editor you need to be Catherine keener basically because yep. she's setting up a lot of stuff and planning a lot of things that are going to come back and and click into the audience later and be used yeah again it's the simplicity of things that make them really shine and yeah it has to do with the editing and the special effect that's about to happen here yeah when he sings in First mm -hmm. into the bed and then into that void. Yeah. And also, again, it's like you have everything there and then you have really great performances taking it that much further. Oh, yeah. It's always such a nice thing. But the, that's the great thing about Catherine Keener. She always just seems so, like she just belongs, like so effortlessly natural in all these films, all these different roles. Yeah. And this is like such a totally different character than her work in the Spike Jones films and yeah. the stuff she does with Charlie Kaufman. She just always is so natural. It's she's one of those great actors where it's just like, oh, we just pulled someone off the street, and it's like, oh, that's Keener. Well, she's just doing her Keener thing. But you know, there's a lot of variety in the, oh, yeah. that she's bringing to that. Oh yeah, which is this, which is very cool. We're about to hear at one fifty four subtle sound effect of her commanding him to go into the void because he's still struggling not to do that. So let's just enjoy that for a moment here. Sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. That's nice sound effects editing there. And then the mm -hmm. way that the actual sinking happens, so simple. This is not major CGI work. This is a camera just moving down behind the pillow while the kid is like sinking into... Uh, mattress that maybe has a hole in it or something and then we're in the void and the void is i think basically just him on two wires and then superimposed or composed is basically the f the same frame of her in a medium and it's mm -hmm. floating away like anyone with after effects experience can get really close to creating this and it's all yeah. just about storytelling it's not about this the spectacle itself that makes this work like if yeah. this was aquaman it'd be like there'd be fireworks <laughs> let's, and let's lay off aquaman 
what's the what's the other thing okay sorry um so sound throughout the scene water rain mm -hmm. teacup and yeah so much of this cool s supernatural and high high effect seeming transition is because of the sound which is cool how just using understanding sound adds so much production value to this scene yeah in terms of the scope of it and stuff is really neat very nicely done so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna stop there i'm i'm really excited about the scene i love the film and what i love most about it is actually how it wraps up it doesn't like you would expect the third act would be like well, you know, they're going to come back and there's going to be a big fight. And it's just like once you know what's up, it just it just unwinds real nicely. So, Yeah, it, exactly. It's a really cool scene. And there's so much going on in it. And we love to hear what we miss. So please let us know. There's more details, more stuff you're picking up on. Let us know. Sven has a whole great link for that commenting. This guy edits.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to leave a comment and you want to go straight there, thisguyedits.com slash comment. And yeah, and I've looked at a lot of Reddit threads and finally looked at ours last night and was blown away, <laughs> blown away by the conversation on there. Um, so check it out. And uh, if you like what you are hearing, please let a friend know about the podcast, New Year's Resolution. Shoot some stuff, edit some stuff, look at what you can do and how immense and memorable and uh, what a landmark iconic scene you can make with such limited tools like has been done here imagine what you can do in your own filmmaking so start doing your youtube videos and stuff now so you can have your directorial debut when you're at the, the height of your game in a few years and we we look forward to it nice nice and, and uh thank you to kurda for the music and as sven always says happy editing your head between the speakers there's no sane zone so put your head between the speakers and a happy new ish year feeling good about this one. Oh, i can always tell so my new year's um, resolution is watch every film that we talk about take that time mine's to watch every jordan peele film and and pick great films pick like interesting films that's my resolution